What happens when a ray of positivity is pointed at places that least expect it? Places where poverty and at times hopelessness have taken hold? Well, joy ensues and new outlooks. And as the ambassador of positivity, you thrive on that joy, the possibilities, the new friendships. And you know that while your new fans are feeding on the positive messages you are sending, they are also filling you with love. It's a two-way street. You're listening to 2233, a podcast of exchange stories. I'm a teacher of the masses, Malcolm X with the glasses, a lecture in your classes, blast is never blasphemous, shine brighter with no lighters, internal fire, true writer, back in the day, call me that typewriter, lyric space, bars are never cut and paste, word, I'm your saving grace, people not as no debate, I make it okay, oh hey, let me get that ear, diamond in that rough for the touch of your mom's loving care, a new age, new plague is in a flux, everything is online, newspapers drying up, technology, the universal remedy, we used to read books, now them libraries empty. This week, the ultimate be yourself culture, trying to get to normal, and we could do more. Join us on a journey from Baltimore, Maryland, around the world to connect over beats and ideas. It's 2233. We report what happens in the United States. Warts and all. These exchanges shaped who I am. When you get to know these people, they're not quite like you. You read about them, they are people very much like ourselves. And oh, that's what we call cultural exchange. What's going on, everybody? My name is Wordsmith. I'm a songwriter and performer out of Baltimore, Maryland. Consider myself a motivational hip-hop artist, where basically I want to give you energy, uplift your spirit and your soul. I've chosen a tougher path doing positive music that's also politically driven at times, but it's my path. It's my purpose, and it affects and impacts the youth. I was blessed enough to get you know, into the auditions in 2016 and went up to New York and I brought my band with me and it went so well that I probably shouldn't even say this. One of the judges came out of the room and he was like, look, I'm not even supposed to be out here, but you're good to go. I may not be an artist that's all over TV and the radio and all of that stuff, but I had my fans are true fans. They've met me in person. I've had meals with these people. I have genuine connections just like I do with some of my best friends, you know, back here in the United States. I was a big hip hop fanatic growing up. I used to collect tapes for people that don't remember or know what tapes are. I used to collect tapes and I actually still have my tape collection because it's a part of my history as a person. Uh, I just really loved hip hop growing up, how everybody was unique and different and wore all these crazy different hairstyles and, and different clothing. And I just felt like hip hop culture, everybody was being themselves. You know what I mean? It was, it was the ultimate be yourself culture. Be comfortable in your own skin culture. Wear, wear your clothes, wear your hair, wear your shoes any way you want type of culture. And I just bit onto that as a kid. And uh, I remember Yo MTV raps and the box being out and VHS tapes. Man, I sound old. But I used to tape all that stuff and keep all that stuff in shoe boxes. And it was like my history of hip hop or when it was becoming big and commercialized and everything. But I didn't think I was going to become a musician during that time. I just knew I loved it. 
And uh, I actually wanted to be more of an actor than anything. And that's what my degree is in, in college is theater arts. When I fully transitioned into music, I still bring theater arts into, you know, my music with the way I express my music and uh, the way I present my music and everything is probably been a little bit different because I don't think my dream was always to just be this big, you know, big time artist. My dream was always to just impact people uh, more than anything, the youth. So when I found these programs and I was like, man, they fund programs to send artists overseas to to impact the youth. It was just a big moment for me because I was like, this is why I make my music, you know, because I would spend a lot of times contact people in the U.S. Hey, can I come into your school? Can hey, can I come into this place and deliver this lecture or do this concert? And then I find these programs here at the State Department. I was like, these are perfect. These were made for artists like me who want to do this. And this is what I'm about. So. I'm just blessed to do this, to be honest. They're not always gonna understand everything I'm saying, being from America and speaking English, but the thing with music is you can invoke an emotion. Uh, a song can make someone feel a certain way to where I don't know everything you're saying, but it's giving me this feeling. It's giving me this emotion of joy or it's I was sad when I came to this concert and now I feel great. And I've literally had kids that I've done these concerts or these workshops and I've had kids. And, and it's sad to hear sometimes that they'll say, oh, I've been depressed for months. And they'll be like, your concert woke me up. And that's I put in parentheses. This is the, what they say to me. It, it woke me up, made me feel good about myself. I feel re-energized. I feel you know, not the way I've been feeling the past few months. I feel like I got a lot of work to still do with myself, but I feel better about who I am, being more comfortable in my own skin and just progressing in life. So I've really seen how my music can touch the youth and really get them to start thinking differently and give them a better perspective. When I went to Africa the first time, I was in Cote d'Ivoire. And when I went there, they speak French there. And I was totally unprepared. And I collaborated with some of the musicians. That's what I would say the light went on because we weren't able to literally hold a conversation with one another, but we were able to go through some of my songs and then be like, oh, you know, this is my flavor. Or me have my translator say, hey, this song is about making a statement in life and standing for your opinion and standing for what you believe in. And portray that to the artist where he's like oh i got a verse for this where i talk exactly about this thing right here you know and that light goes on it's like oh you don't have to sit down and have this deep conversation with people you can find a common connection which was making a statement in life and we was able to collab on a record with literally this other artist not knowing a lick of english and me not knowing a lick of french and we performed this song together on stage and it went so well and that was that first time that light bulb went on i was like this experience is so amazing you could just see the joy out of both of us on stage while we're doing this record. Like, we're really doing this together. Now it's more second nature to me, and I get out to these countries. I'm like, where the artists at? All artists are a little weird. I mean, <laughs> we're a little weird, we're out the box, we're quirky, we have our different times where we create music or when we get a feeling for music, but uh, the thing we all have in common is I think real musicians want to impact people. You know, I think you make music to impact people and in the hip hop genre, I think that's been lost a little bit. Uh, some of the music just kind of just be, it's out to be out. 
and the basis of hip-hop is storytelling and a lot of it was i would say a part of news you were telling people about a society and the way people lived that a lot of people didn't know back in the day they didn't know the struggle in you know poverty stricken communities or police injustice priest brutality so through hip-hop and through this type of music and i talk about these things a lot of these things are going on in unfortunately in third world countries all the time embezzlement police corruption government corruption so there's your connection right there and they're like i'm going through some of that same stuff in my country i think on the music side the stuff i talk about is very relatable to what's going on in everyday life uh like i have a song living life check to check it's about that struggle of just trying to make money every day or trying to live every day so think about you go to africa where they're not waking up every day uh, what soccer ball am I going to kick? What sport am I going to play? What playground am I going to go to? They're waking up every day and saying, when's my next meal? Simple, basic stuff. And so someone like me who I make really blue collar music about everyday people and the struggles of everyday people, it's a little bit easier for me to connect. You're, you're uh, supporting a purpose when you send a musician out there. They're not just going out there to just do their music. You're going out there to connect with a different culture, bring American culture to them, and then bring their culture back to America. Uh, and that's one thing when I go out there is I try to show the best of that culture. So I might be in a particular place that it may not be the most beautiful place. It might be a tough economy. But I don't show any of that. I show the good times when I'm hanging out with the kids. I show the good times when I'm doing concerts or when I'm just having a, a special moment talking to somebody. I show that because the news shows enough of the negative stuff, unfortunately. So I try to be the news where it's like, look at these great things going on here in Namibia, in Angola, in Haiti, in places where us as Americans, we probably don't have the greatest perception because we only see what the news shows us. And we're like, oh man, all I see about Haiti is they're constantly fighting and protesting over there. But the people out there are so beautiful. Big hearts, willing to give you the last little bit of food, last little bit of anything they have. And I think that's so powerful and something that we need to learn more as Americans. And I always try to come back. I was like, man, I met so many people that have next to nothing. I have something and they're still trying to give me stuff. Take this bread. Take this bracelet. You know what I mean? I don't need it. Take it. You're almost insulting them when you don't take it. You have nothing, but you want to give so much. And that's something that when I come back here, I try to tell people like, listen, we don't give enough out here. We're the superpower. We're America. We should constantly, not just as this beautiful country, but as individuals, we should constantly be given. We are very privileged. I would say even our, even our most poorest communities are very privileged in a lot of ways because we have government back and you got food stamps. You know what I mean? You can get temporary cash assistance. There's all these different programs that we have built to where if you fall in tough times, there's a backup. Whereas when you go to places like Africa and you fall on tough times, you're on tough times. And so you can dig your way out of it. Really think about that. There's no government backing. It's like, hey, I'm going to help pick you up. Or, hey, I have this homeless shelter. I can put you until you get on your feet. You're living on the land until you can figure it out for yourself. So I come back with that on my heart every time. And I almost feel conflicted a lot of times when I come back to America speaking honest. I just feel like we're so privileged and we could do more.
I met this kid named Rashid. And this was actually uh, one of my first trips to Africa. And it was in Cote d'Ivoire, actually. And he was my translator. And uh, we just got really close. He was a young kid. He was, I think, 19 when I met him. During our talks and our travels, because sometimes we'd have long trips to the next region, and he just, you know, he started telling me his life story and he started telling me his dreams and aspirations. And his biggest aspiration was to come to college in the United States. And he was like, I just don't see how it's possible. It's something that I, I want to do. And I said, it's more than possible. And I said, I'm going to help you do this. If people don't know what American Corner is, when you go to different countries, uh, you know, the embassies have American Corner where you can go into there and you can learn about our culture. And it's just, it's really beautiful that we set up and it's all, in all these different countries. And Rashid had learned English so fast that he was actually a teacher at American Corner and he was teaching his other colleagues, his friends, English, this kid. And he had lost a lot. Two of his houses had burnt down over the course of his life. He had lost some of his brothers and sisters to sicknesses and death. But the blessed thing is this relationship, when I left, it was on my heart heavy to, we got to get Rashid here to the U.S. So long story short, about a year and a half ago, Rashid got a full scholarship to Endicott College in Massachusetts. And that's where he's been for almost two years now. First person in his family to ever come to America. First person in his family to ever go to college. It's going to be the first person to get a degree. Now, this is stuff we take for granted in America a lot of times, going to college, simple stuff like this. You got to understand Rashid's going to be probably the only kid out of his village in Cote d'Ivoire that's going to have a college education. Imagine the, I want to use the word burden, but imagine what he's going to have on his shoulders once he gets that degree and how many people are going to be tugging at him for help and knowing too that he's got to go back. He's got to take that knowledge. He's got to take this experience of four years in America and he's got to take that back to his home and try to help other youth coming up behind him. And he, believe me, he realizes it right now that he's going to have this somewhat of this burden, a good burden put on there. But this story is so powerful to me because this, this kid Rashid had nothing a lot of his life, lost a lot, has such a great heart. And the ending thing with him is he worked hard. He kept faith. He stayed true to his dream. He had a purpose, which I talk to kids a lot about. Have purpose in your life. He had a purpose. And sometimes we get blessings where you meet certain people or, you know, God put certain people in your life at times. And I felt like I was that for Rashid. You know, I was there at the right time, right person that would actually hear his story and, and action and move on and not just hear it and go, that's a sad story. Thanks for sharing it with me. Nah, I heard it and I was like, I'm going to be a part of making this happen. And it's something that's happened. lot of them just want your time. Their hardships are so heavy. They just want you to listen. They just want you to sit down next to them and they want to, I hate to say, they want to feel normal. Again, here feeling normal is something we can kind of create. This is a normal day for me. Every day for them, they don't really know what's going to happen. You know, and yeah, we could say that here because every day is it's kind of like a gift. You open it up and you're like, ah, oh, what's going to happen today? But we can kind of plan our schedule. They don't really have a schedule in some of these other countries. And so I just think uh, them being able to gain some hope and energy from me, someone that's coming in and I'm smiling and I'm upbeat and I'm like, hey, let's have a good time today. Let's do some music. Let's talk about how we can be successful in life. 
And it just instantly bring, gives their spirit something they haven't had. Because you got a thing, when you're around your regular surroundings every day, you might just be seeing the negative every day. You might be the most positive person in the world. But if it's just negativity day after day after day, it can dampen your positivity, son. But sometimes you need people that are naturally positive, love life, love seeing others be successful into your life and say, hey, I'm just going to sit down next to you. Tell me about yourself. Don't worry about me. I'm irrelevant right now. All right. I'm just an ear for you. And I really take pride in that part is after I talk to kids, we take a couple pictures. I'm probably one of the first people who are like, hey, you got any brothers or sisters? What's your favorite subject in school? Hey, what do you love to do? And the next thing you know, I'm, I'm an hour sitting down talking to kids. You know what I mean? And so, but they love it. And that's all they want is your time. I've had a lot of people that have welcomed um, my band and I into their household. I would say, I know there was one time on one of my tours, literally the first day we got to a country, the first meal we had was in a house. It wasn't in a hotel, it wasn't in a restaurant, it was home cooking. I believe it was on one of my Africa tours, it was home cooking, cooking we had. And I actually hung out, I remember with the family's kids that day and played a couple games with them. We danced in the house with them. And that was my first experience, my first day coming on a tour. You talking about warm welcome. That was a warm welcome right there. But I've had a lot of those where I've stepped foot into a place and within two days, three days, I'm having a personal dinner with someone or I'm going to an event or I'm going out on a night in the town with people that are from that country and can take you around and say, hey, it's fun to go here. It's fun to do this. But they're at a level of comfort with me to where they want you to come out with them because you don't know me. I don't know you. And if we don't have any bond or connection, you're less likely to be like, hey, why don't you come out with us tonight? So that's a way for me to gauge too how people are feeling about me and our connection is, are they asking me to come out once today's work is done? Or are they interested in me meeting their family once today's work is done? And that happens all the time, so I know I'm doing my job. I don't feel like I'm big on judging people, but I do have that part of me. Sometimes I meet people and I, I might judge them. And I talk to kids a lot about that. And I tell them, I say, hey, us adults are probably worse than you guys are sometimes as far as seeing someone and instantly judging them just because of their appearance. I try to continue to work on myself when I go to these different countries and saying, I'm meeting all these different cultures, all these different people. They look so different than I do and look different than people in America a lot of times. It's just best to sit down and talk to people, then make your judgment. You can't really look at skin color, how someone looks or anything like that. You could be missing out on your next best friend, your next best colleague, someone that could help you in your life, someone that could help you with a job. You just never know if you just look at someone and go, oh, well, they're not someone I regularly would hang around or they don't look like the people I normally hang around. And so every time I go overseas on these programs, I remind myself, I'm not here to judge anybody. I'm here to accept everybody, talk to people, get to know them. Then I'll reserve. <laughs> my right to be like, I want to give you more of my time or not. And so when I come back to the U.S., I'm even harder on myself because I feel like we are a big judgmental um, just country. And so when I come back, I'm just to my kids. Most of the time, they might say something. I'll be like, no, 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 no. We're not judging them. Oh, you're right, Dad. You're right. We're not going to judge first. I'm like, we don't know anything about those people. We could talk to them. They could have the biggest hearts in the world. And we sit over here across the street judging them. 
you know? So when I come back, I'm like, no judgment zone. Talk first, then I'll decide. Israel and Africa, I'll probably say the most two places that really influenced me as far as when I came back. Israel was surprising to me and I was really naive on this. I guess when you go to Israel, you have this, this is God's place, you know what I mean? So I'm sure everybody's real strict and by the book and no one has fun. And this is how I literally went out to Israel. Everybody just, you know, worships God all day and they don't do anything. Just think about how dumb my thinking was, okay? So I get to Israel and I realize, man, they party harder than us in America sometimes. Are you serious? So I went to Israel. And, I mean, my eyes were open. And I remember I had this conversation with this one, one young lady and I said, I'm noticing you guys live pretty free out here. You know, I'm like, Mount Olives is literally right behind me right here. You can take Jesus walk right here, you know, and this is the way she put it to me. It's like, we all love God. We all know he's right here, but he wouldn't want us to not live our lives. He didn't put us here to just strictly just worship him every second of the day. He wants us to live our lives and progress in life and have purposes and have goals. And that's what we all know here. So he's like, we get in trouble just like everybody else. You know, you know, God's right here. We still get in trouble. We still make bad decisions. And I'm just like, duh, you know, <laughs> I don't know. You just have this thought of like, it's Israel. You know what I mean? And, and so I really got my eyes open. And when I came back, I'm like, Israel ain't nothing like you guys think. I had such a good time. I went to so many parties, met so many great people that were just so kind and so giving. When I was in Israel, they knew so much about our presidential situation, our government, so much about the way we live. And I would say to them, y'all got such a beautiful culture here. It just sounds like you're more worried about what we're doing in America. And I know we're close allies, but I said, it just sounds like you're so worried about our fashion and, and how we think and, and what, how we talk. And I was like, I'm loving what I'm seeing over here. It's so beautiful. Or if I'm in different parts of Africa that people might say, oh, this isn't the most beautiful place. I can find the beauty in it out of the people and their culture, the way they live or, there might be musical instruments I've never seen a day in my life that's native to that country that someone can play and you're like, oh, that sounds so beautiful. I've never heard or seen an instrument like that. And so I would encourage them like, take some stuff from us. I get that. But it's like having an idol. You have an idol or someone you look up to, you wanna take bits and pieces of the things you like out of the person, but you don't wanna follow them. You don't wanna be just like them. And that's something I would tell them is like, be, be, love your culture, love what you're about, take some small stuff from us that maybe we do well but i was like we make dumb decisions too sometimes in america we don't always know what we're talking about all the time in america so i don't want you to think that we know all and so i try to tell people that, that we don't know everything we don't we can learn from you just like you can learn from us I was in this place called uh, Ganyua, Africa. When I was in Ganyua, I was in this small village of uh, maybe a little over 3,000 people. And uh, they'd never had an American artist step foot in their village before. They've never, a lot of people there have never even seen a live band before. Uh, it was a village that was very, very deep in poverty. So you got to think most American artists would not choose to come there. Or a lot of American artists don't choose to go to Africa in general, which bothers me. So when I went there, it was so powerful 
the experience because literally the whole town was in front of me. So like I said, it was a little over 3,000 people. The whole town was in front of me. The whole town. The experience was so powerful because when it was all said and done, like everybody rushed the stage. And I had so many kids at the front of the stage just saying, take me back with you. Take me back to the US. Take me back with you. And it was a sad moment, but also an uplifting moment because I knew I connected with the audience. You know, I knew I connected with the people there, you know, through my music. So many people gave me hugs that day. So many people came up to me, had conversations with me, whether it was broken English, whether they were talking through my translator. And now I remember that moment. I was like, man, I wish my family could see this because they really could see the impact of my music and why I do this. When you got a whole village out here supporting you, wanting to be a part of this moment that became a part of, honestly, their history in Ganyua, you know, and that's how I looked at it when I left. I was like, man, this was history right here. message is very purpose-driven about having purpose in your life setting goals I talk to the kids a lot about waking up every morning and and just saying hey what am I gonna accomplish today the kids like it I'll be like don't be a zombie when you wake up and just oh go through my regular day doing the same thing like oh I gotta go to school I, I, I got practice after school I'm like those are great things but I said hey I want you to think bigger and you should start thinking bigger when you're young what do I want to become why did God put me on this earth You know, he put us all here to do something special. And I think the beauty of life is you got to figure that out. You know, he doesn't say, hey, this is your end game. He he lets you figure it out. And through figuring out, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to take wrong turns sometimes that might slow you down. You know, you might take a right turn that'll speed up. You know, you getting to your goal. But I think that's the biggest thing is just purpose. Telling the kids early, have purpose, start thinking about what your purpose is now. And it might change over time. What you think you want to become now, what you love now could change in five years. But the bottom line is it's time to start thinking about it now. Don't get up any more mornings and eat that bowl of cereal and just go through the motions. Your mind should be turning. I want to get this done today. Who can I help today? Who can I give an opportunity today? What can I get done to advance myself better today? I use, I guess, my travels when I talk to kids here in Baltimore about appreciating one another. And like I said earlier about not judging one another, I talk about other cultures and maybe the way they live and how different they are through us and their struggles. And it helps the kids to me understand like, oh man, yeah, I don't know anything about that struggle you just brought up. And I think it makes their their mind turn and go, man, I'm complaining about stupid stuff a lot of times. I'm complaining about the smallest things. And this guy just told me about this kid or this situation or this family that every day they have to do X and X just to get water. So imagine telling that to kids like, you know how you can go to your sink and just turn it on and get water? Well, imagine someone has to get up at five every morning and walk up this big hill and walk five miles just to get clean water. Or imagine living in a place where you don't have a sewer system. So all your trash and everything is just all over the streets. We're talking about regular trash. We're talking about when you go to the bathroom, everything. It's almost a, it's a part of your society. We don't live that way here. So just telling these little stories of, hey, I've been around people that don't have hardly anything, but they will give you the world. Or they don't have this nice bike and that you have, but they don't care. They got smiles on their face every morning. And I tell them they have the biggest purpose in the world. 
And a lot of it is because it's survival every day in some of these countries. So they have to have a purpose every day. And I think that's important for us to know as Americans that, yeah, we, we're privileged. And so it can make us be a little bit lazy sometimes. But think about people that don't have what we have. That'll give you purpose every day. Because I'm serious. They get up and they're like, my purpose today is I have to get food for my family. My purpose today is I have to get clean water. My purpose today is I want to try to get a new shirt for my daughter who hasn't got a new shirt in five months. Has been wearing the same clothes for this whole month. Now that's purpose every day when you have to do stuff that's gonna affect your family, that's gonna help your family survive every day. So I try to tell those stories to kids and their eyes be like this big all the time. So. I'm a teacher of the masses, Malcolm X with the glasses, a lecture in your classes, blast, it's never blasphemous, shine brighter with no lighters, internal fire, true writer, back in the day, call me that typewriter, knowledge base, bars are never cut and paste, word, I'm your saving grace, people not as no debate, I make it okay, oh hey, let me get that ear, diamond in that rough with a touch of your mom's loving care, a new age, new plague is in a flux, everything is online, newspapers drying up, technology, the universal remedy, we used to Read books, now them libraries empty. I got my mind made up. Talk to the world, I'ma do it straight up. Never act faking, never played up. Now stop, wait up, stop, wait up and rise, rise, rise. I hope you're ready, hope you're ready. I'ma tell it to him, I'ma tell him that. So when the lights is on and the mic is on, I'ma hit him. Come on. When the lights is on and my mic is on, I'ma hit him. Listen. I see the world through a telescope. I tell a hope and let me quote. Faith, let me be the Pope. Stress, let me stop the stroke. The education, the desperation, the learning. Kids become the vermin. The future is so uncertain. Sex since you 15. Your low esteem is evident. Your innocence is gone. And your baby needing benefits. Jobs, your house, your dreams, and your spouse. Knowledge could be the key to proceed to work it out. Flip the mic switch. Full clip of my two cents. I'm due to vent when sharing my thoughts. They turn to events. Take the podium. Pressing this revolution. Blessing your institution with love, you're not refuting So, I got my mind made up Talk to the world, I'ma do it straight up Never act faking, never played up Now stop, wait up, stop, wait up And rise, rise, rise I hope you're ready, hope you're ready I'ma tell it to him, I'ma tell him that So when the lights is on and the mic is on, I'ma hit him. Come on. When the lights is on and the mic is on, I'ma hit him. I said you gotta believe. is produced by The Collaboratory, an initiative within the U.S. State Department's Bureau of Educational and Cultural Affairs, better known as ECA. My name's Christopher Wurst. I'm the director of The Collaboratory. 2233 is named for Title 22, Chapter 33 of the U.S. Code, the statute that created ECA. 
and our stories come from participants of U.S. government-funded international exchange programs. This week, hip-hop artist Wordsmith talks about his lessons learned and connections made around the world as an ECA Arts Envoy. For more about the Arts Envoy and other ECA exchange programs, check out eca.state.gov. We also encourage you to subscribe to 2233 and leave us a nice review while you're at it. And we'd love to hear from you. You can write to us at ecacollaboratory at state.gov. That's E-C-A-C-O-L-L-A-B-O-R-A-T-O-R-Y at state.gov. Photos of each week's interviewee and complete episode transcripts can be found at our webpage at eca.state.gov slash 2233. Special thanks to Wordsmith for his vision and his art. I did the interview and edited this episode. All of the featured music you heard was by Wordsmith, including performances of Gems of Wisdom performed live in our little nook, and instrumental versions of Living Check to Check, My Brilliance Shines, Time, The Promise, and Made. Music at the top of each episode is Sebastian by How the Night Came, and the end credit music is Two Pianos by Tagir Lius. Until next time.